We all are seeking something. I mean, it's just the, the reality is we're all seeking something. What are you seeking this Christmas year? What, have you figured out what it is that you're looking for, what you're seeking after this Christmas season? This morning, we're going to talk about seeking God. We're going to talk about seeking God. And in fact, possibly the best known seekers in the whole Bible are found in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, that's going to be our text today. If you need a Bible, if you just want to put your hand up, we've got an usher in the back, and they would love to put a Bible in your hand. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In Matthew 2, as we read through this text, we learn about some of the greatest seekers in the Bible who are known as the Magi. The Magi came from the east and they're looking for the Messiah who was born the king of the Jews. Now, we don't know a lot about the Magi. Um, however, it is clear that they were foreigners, that they, they, they didn't have the proper religious credentials. Um, and we knew that they were practice, practicers of astrology. They were into astrology and looking at the stars and figuring all that out, which was not only rejected by the Jews, but it was also forbidden in Scripture. And so, yet we see these magi, these, these, these not super religious, uh, not right people, we see them seeking God. And when they seek God, he answered them. They were seeking God and they found him. And see, all throughout the Bible, we see this, this kind of a, a common theme throughout the Bible. You see, we see that it's not the uber-credentialed. It's not the highly respected. It's not the politically correct. It's not the morally self-righteous people that God reveals his truth to. Rather, it's usually those of us who have realized that we're on a dead-end path. Those of us who don't have it all together. Who don't have the best resume. And that's what we see with the Magi. These guys weren't the, the, the special religious people. They didn't have the right resume. Yet God showed himself and revealed himself to them. So this morning we're going to study through Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12, which is the only place in the Bible that we, we hear about the Magi uh, known as the wise men. And we're going to see that they are described as being wise men because they were seeking after God. And I think this is something that all of us should be doing. All of us should say we want to be wise. We want to seek after God. We want to seek God in our life. So we're going to look today to see um, how exactly we can become wise men. So we're going to read Matthew chapter, 12, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, get started. let's read this together. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, uh, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and it rose, and have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child 
with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this ability to come and just open up your word and be able to to read about the story of these wise men, these magi. And Lord, as I think all of us would desire to be wise, we would desire to be known as being wise. God, I pray that as we look at this story, God, that you would open our eyes to, to see what made these men wise and see, God, how we can apply this to our life. God, I pray for those in here today who are seeking answers. God, I pray that we will all have a genuine desire to seek you and to seek you in our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and you would draw us to yourself. And we ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. Now, obviously, as we read through this story, we know there's a lot more about the Magi that most of us know about. Because, you know, what we have believed about the Magi, what we know to be about the Magi, usually is nothing more than church tradition or speculation. I mean, when we, when we pull out our nativity scenes, we see, we see the Magi representing three kings, and they always have weird hats on. Have you noticed? They always just have these weird, funky hats on. And, and you always see the, the nativity scenes with the three kings, and they're gathered around the baby Jesus, and they're gathered in the stable to see the baby Jesus. But the Bible doesn't clarify that. The Bible never says there was three of them. Only that there was three gifts. And so we've deduced at some capacity that there was three of them. You know, the Bible never says that they were kings. We want to depict them as kings. But again, the Bible never says they were kings. It says that they were magi or wise men. And, and, and again, verse 11 sa- actually says that they found the child with Mary in a house, not in a stable. Uh, chances are this happened, this story occurred uh, six months to two years after Jesus was born. And, uh, you know, other traditions that we, we know from uh, about the Magi is they had the names of Melchior and Balthazar and a Casper. But again, the Bible doesn't clarify this. This is tradition and speculation that we've tied into to believing about the Magi. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, again, you look at the speculation about the Magi. When I was a kid, you know, we had this little nativity scene that, you know, kids could play with, you know. You have some of those nativity scenes, and they sit on a bench, and nobody's allowed to touch them. But we had this one growing up where us kids could, you know, configure it. And so we, we, I, I put the little nativity scene up, and I put a fire truck next to the nativity scene. And uh, my mom says, well, what's the fire truck doing there? And I said, well, because the Magi. It says they came from afar, right? They came... I got two jokes. I got two laughs out of that. So we're going to be better off just sticking to what God says in his word. And so we know that these magi, they were, they were not kings. Actually, what these men were is there was a combination of, of wise men or priests, probably from, from Persia. In fact, the word magi means to be a court astrologer. And these men, what they would have done is they would have served uh, advi- as, as advisors to kings. They would have made forecasts and, and predictions for the royalty based on what they saw in the skies. They played political and religious roles in their country. They were figures of prominence from where they came from. And so this is the background. This is what we need to know about the Magi as we look and say, God, how can we be wise men as well? 
Number one for this morning, I want us to see that wise men seek God. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now again, we don't know the Magi's origin country. We don't know what country specifically they came from. We just know that it says they came from the east. The impression, though, that we read as we read this, the impression is that they have traveled a great distance. They've been on a considerable journey to get to the point that they are now. Likely, in the 8th and 6th centuries B.C., Israel was brought into captivity uh, by Babylon and Assyria and Persia. And, and, and likely, these, these magi came from the area of Babylon or Persia. They, likely, they had the Jews that came and while they were in captivity, were in their land. And chances are that while, these, the, while the Jews were in captivity in the 6th and 8th century before Christ, likely, they shared their faith. They shared their Old Testament prophecies that there is a Messiah coming. And as they were in captivity, as they heard, as the people of Babylon and Persia heard what the Jews were saying, chances are some of that hung around. And so here we find the Magi, um, they, they believe the Old Testament prophecies. The, the prophecy comes from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says, I see him, but not now. I, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. See, Messiah's star, this star was set out to, uh, was a sign to these magi. They knew there would be a sign coming, and it was a sign to the magi. Hey, this newborn king, this Messiah, this one that we told about so many centuries ago, it's really happening. We see his star. We know it is coming. And so they set out on this journey to honor the newborn king of the Jews. And naturally, when they're going to go and try and honor the newborn king of the Jews, naturally, they're going to go to the capital of Israel in Jerusalem, the Holy Land. I want you to see that in, in this text, Matthew reports two separate sightings of the star, possibly having months, uh, months or even years in between them. The first star w- was when the Magi saw rising in the east. This is when they were in their home country and they saw the star rising up in the east. Now, contrary to the way that we typically believe this, we, we always think, well, the star was there and they just followed the star and found baby Jesus. But the text implies something a little different. There's no indication the star actually led them to, to Jerusalem. The, what we can, can deduce is that the star, the star simply uh, marked the birth of this newborn king. You see, Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, which would be the most intelligent place to look for the newborn king of Israel. And so they arrive, notice when they arrive in Jerusalem, what's the first thing they ask? They say, where is this newborn king? Where is this king of the Jews? You see, with their question that they're posing, where is he? There's no doubt that this happened. There's no doubt that there's this newborn king of the Jews. There's, There's no doubt as to the timing of it. The only question is where. And so had they been following this star continuously, as we come and think through the Magi story, the wise men story, there'd be no point in stopping in Jerusalem, right? There'd be no reason for them to stop in Jerusalem if the star was leading them directly to where Jesus was in Bethlehem. See, they simply followed the star. Verse 9 says, though, 
After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so that becomes the, the, the second showing of the star. The first star was a symbol. Hey, this is what's happening. This is a sign. The newborn king, he's, he, it's really happening. And then they go to, to Jerusalem and say, hey, where is the king? And, and, and they go through and find out, well, he's in Bethlehem. And, and as they start making their progress to Bethlehem, the star shows and comes and rests right over where Jesus was. Now, these magi, we see them uh, seeking God with considerable effort. We see them in an effort wanting to, to find this God. And, and the question is, why would they want to seek God? I mean, from a worldly standard, from a, just a purely worldly standard, these wise men had everything we could ask for, right? They had education. They had power. They had esteem. They had respect. They had, they had wealth. I mean, we see certainly they had prestige. When they come to Jerusalem, they say, hey, we want to know where the king is. And they're ushered right into King Herod. I mean, you've got to have, some, you've got to have a little bit of a dignity to be able to go right before the king. And, and so we know that they had esteem. We know that they had wealth. We know they had money because they brought these great treasures to Jesus. And so these wise men, they have everything that the world has to offer. They've got power. They've got esteem. They've got respect. They've got authority. They have everything that we could imagine. Yet we see them seeking God. We see them seeking God. You see, there is a spiritual hunger that drove them to seeking God. There's a spiritual hunger where we can say, hey, we're, we're going to seek all these things the world has to offer. We're going to seek respect. We're going to seek power. We're going to seek money. But the reality is all those things, they leave you hungry. You, you, all those things will leave you hungry because there's a, there's a longing inside of us that only God can fill. And this is what we see from the Magi. They're saying, you know, we've gotten all these things, but there's still something deep inside of us that we can't get filled. And that comes from God. And so we see them seeking God. One lesson, I think, from, from the Magi seeking God is I want us to understand that seeking involves questions. You see, the Magi, they come to Jerusalem, and they're not ashamed to reveal the ignorance of the prophecy in order to find the truth. I mean, we see them, they come in, and they say, hey, where's God? We, we, we know that God is born. We know that this king of the Jews was born. We know, he, he, we know what happened, but we don't know where. So, so they come and they ask these questions. You see, this is important for us to understand. You see, so we don't have to have it all figured out. Don't be ashamed to ask questions about faith, to ask questions about eternity, to ask questions about truth, to ask questions about God. You see, there's no stupid questions as long as it's an honest question. You see, all of us are on this process of, of seeking God in our life. And we come to different points. And, and we come to different levels of, of where we are. And wherever you are today, you know, it's, it's okay not to have it all figured out. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, hey, I know this is what it says, but, but help me to know more. It's okay to ask questions. The question is, whom do we direct those questions to? I mean, where do we go when we're clueless? Where do we go when we're puzzled? Where do we go when we're confused? Oftentimes, we go to the psychic hotline. 
Or we go online and, and try and find someone online that has the answer. Or we, we look at astro- astrological charts. Or, or we go to a science classroom. Or we, we look at the, the cultural consensus around us and say, I have these questions. Somebody answer my questions about God. And I think what God wants is he wants our questions directed to him. He wants our questions of faith and truth and of God not directed to the, cultural, uh, the culture around us. He wants those questions directed to, to him. And, and, and how does he respond? First, he's responded through this. He's given us his word so we can know him. He's given, his, he's given us his word. And he says, come and ask your questions and I will answer your questions for you. And secondly, he says, pray. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not irritated by our questions. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, seeking God, the reality is all of us are in this process of seeking God in our lives. Whether you are, 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 are investigating Christianity, or whether you've been a Christian for, for many, many years, all of us are in this process of seeking God in our life. And, and that means going to the right sources with our questions. Going to the right sources with our questions. Number two for us this morning, I want you to see that wise men seek God diligently. Now we know that from wherever the, the wise men came, whether they came from Persia or Babylon or, or, or wherever they came from, distance meant nothing to them. They have traveled a long way to find this newborn king. There was... Cost was not considered. I mean, there was considerable cost for them to stop everything they were doing and take four, five, six months, two years to go and find this, this king. I mean, I mean, danger was irrelevant. They would not be, be, be deterred by obstacles. And consider the obstacle of Herod's secret plotting against the newborn Messiah. Verses 3 through 8, it says, When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them and said, Where is the Christ, where the Christ was to be born? And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Set the Magi to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. See, King Herod is one of the sorriest characters in the entire Bible. He is one of the sorriest people throughout the entire Bible. At the time of Jesus' birth, Herod would have been about 70 years old. He would have been in the last months of his life. Through accommodations that he made to the Romans, he ascended to power as the, the, the client ruler in Israel. And he ruled in Israel from B.C. 37 to, to 4 B.C. And he spent, uh, he spent the last years of his reign consolidating power. He was never truly accepted by the Jews as their legitimate, legitimate ruler. So he became paranoid about his power and his, and his authority. And so he murdered anyone that he suspected they had plots to take his throne. In fact, it's known that he murdered three of his sons. He murdered multiple of his wives. Multiple
multiple people that were close to him, he murdered because he believed that they had a plot to take his life and to take his throne from him. In fact, one of the other stories about Herod is before he died, he ordered the guards to arrest um, uh, numerous of the, the wealthy people in Jerusalem, the wealthy men in Jerusalem, and well-known men. And he, he said, I want you to arrest them. And he said, here's your orders. On the day that I die, I want you to kill all of these well-known and, and, and high-up people in Jerusalem. Because he knew that the day that he died, there wouldn't be any mourning. And he wanted there to be mourning. So he said, all these people, that, all these men that people care about, I want you to kill them right after I die so that there's mourning on the day that I die. I mean, this is a sick individual. In fact, the Roman Emperor Augustus, he is known to have said this quote. He is known to say, it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than his sons. So verse 3, we see that Herod was disturbed by the Magi asking him of this birth of this new king. Now the Greek word here for um, uh, troubled really means that he was terrified. It means that... (coughs) It means that he began to shake. There was a terror that came over Herod, over even just the thought of a mere infant eventually becoming king of the Jews. And so this led Herod to, to this diabolical plot. The rest of the text in Matthew 12 talks about how, how he said, here's what we're going to do because there's this newborn king, and because this is terrifying me that someone else is going to be king of the Jews— he ordered all the ba- male boys, two years and under to, under, to be murdered. He killed all of these babies. This led to this, this terrible plot for that, that what he did because of his terror over what the Magi had said to him. Meanwhile, before he goes and makes this, this, this terrible murdering of all the babies, he, he fakes a desire to worship the Messiah. He says, here's what you're going to do. You, when, you find the, when you find the Messiah, come back and tell me so I can come and worship him too. <laughs> and, and, and he doesn't know where the Messiah was born. So he, he tells the chief priests and the, and the scribes, he says, hey, you know, where is this Messiah? Where is he supposed to be born? And the unanimous decision is, well, Micah 5.2 from the Old Testament. This is what's, what, what's quoted in, in, in verse 6. And he says, well, Micah 5.2 says that this Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. And, and, and I want you to notice that, that here, you know, Herod, the, the king of the Jews, the, 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 the king, he's not searching for God. He's not seeking God. The Jew, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders, they're not seeking God. I mean, we have this story where, where God has been born, the star has been there, and, and these wise men come from who knows where. They come a long distance, and they come seeking God. Hey, where is he at? And, and we see... We see these, the, Herod and, and these Pharisees and these religious rulers. They're saying, hey, yeah, yeah, well, we know that the Bible says this. We know that the Old Testament says he was born here, but we're not going out seeking him. We haven't gone and found him ourselves. We're happy with where we are. And so we see these magi coming and, and, and looking for God, seeking God. And we see that this was a diligent search that leads out of Jerusalem over a short hilly road five miles down to the town of Bethlehem. This was a diligent search. What I find interesting is as we read through the New Testament, uh, the first word spoken by a human in the New Testament is right here in verse 2. It says, where is God? The first human words in the New Testament was, was by these magi, and they said, where is God? 
And you know what's funny is 2,000 years later, this is still one of the main questions, am I right? Where is God? People all the time say, where is God when I'm suffering? Where is God when I lost my job? Where is God when my kids were diagnosed with this? Where is God when this person died? And, and this is still a question 2,000 years ago that, that is so prevalent. Where is God? Let me say to you this morning, Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search with him with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, we know that God is findable. God is knowable. God responds when we seek him. Of course, our biblical theology would say, uh, teaches us the foundational to all of our seeking to God is the fact that he first chooses us and he seeks us out first. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the, 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 the point is that God is pleased when we seek him and he has promised to, honest, to honor our seeking by revealing himself to us. He will reveal himself to us and so we have those questions, where is God? And, and some of you are on that point. God, where are you at? God, I'm searching for you. I'm seeking you. My encouragement to you is keep searching. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Look at, look at how God reveals himself in verse 11. Verse 11 says, In going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. See, who did they find? <clears throat> They're seeking God, and who do they find? They found Jesus. See, number three for us is wise men find God in Jesus. See, if we are genuinely and diligently seeking God, you will always be led to Jesus. If you want to find God, you're always going to be led to Jesus. 1 Timothy 3, 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for a ransom for all. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through him. See, it is Jesus who is the answer for all of life's problems. I mean, the wise men, we see that they've gone on this diligent search. They've traveled a long way. They've put a lot of effort to seeking God. And they found him in Jesus. You see, we search for God in all the wrong places. We search for God in, in all the We search for God in the culture and say, culture, what do you have to say about God? And our culture would say things like this. They'd say, well, God is whatever you make of it. I mean, I mean God could be the doorknob uh, on the door if that's really what you, what you want your God to be. Whatever your higher power is, you just, you just that's your God. And you, you can search for him all you want in that. Other times we search for God and we think, you know, religion is the answer. We will find God in religion. And we do that. We search, we search for God in our good works. And we say, you know, if I'm just a good enough person, then, you know, God's just going to be there. God's going to be real and God's going to be true. And, and it'll be great. I just have to be good enough. You know, the other place that we look is, is we, we search for God even in the Bible. Which is good. We should be searching for God. But... John 5.39 says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And Jesus says, it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking you're going to find eternal life. But Jesus says, no, those scriptures are all revealing me. 
They're all pointing to me. The point is, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. If you're searching for the one true God, you're going to find him through Jesus. This is why every week at Restoration Church, we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to come back to Jesus. Because if we want God, we will only find him through Jesus. It is through Jesus that we have a relationship with God. That's why it's all about Jesus. That's why every week we're going to come back to the same message about Jesus Christ. Because all of us, wherever we are and seeking our relationship with God, we have to find him through Jesus. We have to find him through Jesus. Just like the Magi. Look at the rest of verse 11 with me. Again, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, the first thing we notice is the moment they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. See, wise men worshipped Jesus. Number four, wise men worshipped Jesus. The moment they saw him, they dropped and they worshipped him. They brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now these gifts are, are, are not just nice gifts, they're symbolic. The gold is symbolic. It represents royalty. And this was a clear acknowledgement from the Magi that, that this child was the king. That this child was the king of all kings. And they present him this gift of gold. And second, they give this gift of frankincense and third, myrrh. Now frankincense and myrrh, they're little known to us. We are not too familiar with those. Both of those came from, from resins from trees. And if you were to purchase those in their final form, they would have been three to five hundred dollars for a pound for each of them. Considerable cost. Frankincense was primarily used in temples by the priests. And so this frankincense was symbolic of worship. It was symbolic of the deity of Jesus. It was, it was the, the gift of frankincense was recognizing, hey, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. And that's what this frankincense represented. And third, the myrrh. The myrrh was, was highly, uh, highly prized in making perfumes and ointments. And it was used to prepare bodies for burial. And this symbolizes Jesus' humanity. Symbolizes Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This was the Magi recognizing, hey Jesus, you are the sacrificial lamb of God. But there's more to worship than just the gold, the frankenstein, and the myrrh. You see, worship involves sacrifice. Worship involves sacrifice. There had to be a great price to be made for these Magi to worship Jesus. I mean, they had to travel on this long, hard journey. I mean, some of you, yeah, you've been on long journeys. You've, you've driven for, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. You know, but when we travel, it's great because, you know, there's a Starbucks in every city. We know that there's going to be a rest stop you can stop and, and rest at. We, we know that, that we can just pull up our phone and say, hey, Siri, give me directions. And Siri's going to tell you how to get to where you're going. These magi, this was a long, hard journey. There was no Starbucks. There was no Jarman GPS. This was a difficult journey that they had to make. They had to sacrifice comfort. They had to sacrifice time. They had to sacrifice resources in order to find, in order to worship Jesus. See, I love what David says about sacrifice. In 2 Samuel 24, he says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. And Paul 
describes worship and, 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 and sacrifice this way in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, worship requires sacrifice. Worship requires sacrifice. It involves praise. It involves praise even when we don't feel like, like giving praise to God. See, the greatest gift that we can give to God, the greatest sacrifice that we can offer is ourselves. 100%. Above everything else. You know what God wants above everything else? He wants all of us. Every part of us. He wants our heart. He wants our soul. He wants our mind. He wants our strength. He wants our attention. He wants, he wants everything that we do to be focused on Him. The question is, what are we willing to sacrifice to God. You see, if sacrifice is worship, what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give our best? Are we willing to serve God wherever He needs to be served? Whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's out front, are we willing to give God whatever He needs to be done? Are we willing to go on a long journey without knowing where we're going, without knowing when we would arrive, without knowing whom we would worship? I mean, this is what the Magi did. Are we willing to give up our comfort zone to serve Jesus and to follow Jesus? Are we willing to give up of our resources to worship him? Lastly, number five, wise men are changed forever. Verse 12 says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Number five, we're, uh, wise men are changed forever. You see, it's interesting. Uh, they worship Jesus, but couldn't go back the same way that they'd come. You see, this is the same way today. This is the same thing today. Once you meet Jesus, you're never the same again. Once you find God in Jesus, we are never the same again. An encounter with God changes everything. I mean, his presence is a life-changing experience. We, we see this all throughout the Bible. In, in Jacob, we studied this passage a couple of, of months ago. In Genesis 32, there's this guy, Jacob, and Jacob is seeking God. And, and, and he goes and, and he seeks God during the night, and he gets into this wrestling match with God. And he wrestles with God all night long, and he says, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go until you reveal yourself to me. And, and, and we know that he never walked the same after that moment. Because during that wrestling match, God touched his hip. And that was a sign, hey, you're different from now on. You will never be the same. And he walked with a limp every day for the rest of his life because the idea that once you meet God, you're not the same. We see this in the New Testament, in the life of Paul. Paul, the, the, the greatest missionary that ever lived. Man, prior to him becoming a Christian, he was a tormentor of Christians. He, he, he would kill Christians. He would do whatever he could. To, to stop the cause of Christianity, to stop the cause of Christ. But then he had, a, he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. God stopped him in his tracks, and he met God there. And he was never the same after that. He went from being one of the, uh, of the people that, that targeted Christianity the most to being possibly the greatest missionary that ever lived. You see, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter God, it's a life-changing moment. We don't walk the same as we did before. 
This is what happens when we walk into the presence of God. We become changed, never the same again. And that's what happened to the wise men when they encountered Jesus. And the cool thing is, is that same power, that same power that, that changed them is alive and is still well here today. That same power that changed them still changes men and women and children today. My prayer is that we would all be wise as a wise man. That we would seek God diligently. That we would look to Jesus. That we would surrender to Jesus. That we would worship Him. And that we would let God change us. See, I want to invite you this morning to respond to God's word with me today. I want to ask you this question. What are you seeking? What is it that you are seeking? Are you seeking God? Or are you seeking your own satisfaction? Are you seeking meaning in your life? Are you seeking just to play church? You know, this is just one of the things you come and you check off your list. Hey, I've done my church thing this week. Or are you truly seeking God? Because if we're seeking God, Deuteronomy 4.29 says that seek God and you will find him. See, God is seeking you. God was seeking these magi. That's why God left his throne in heaven to come down to the earth as a baby in Jesus. See, he's left his throne on high to come to the earth and he's seeking you and he's seeking me. The question is, are we seeking him? See, I encourage you today to surrender to Jesus. Because he is the answer that you're looking for. He is the true joy that you seek. He is the true meaning that you seek. He is the truth that you seek today. Pray. Call out to him. Surrender your will. Receive him as your savior. And for those of us in here who are Christians, I want to ask you, what are you really seeking? What are you seeking Is church just what you do to check off the list? I did my church thing. I'm good to go. As Christmas approaches, what is it that you're seeking at Christmas time? Do you still seek to worship God? Do you still seek to to worship God with your time? Are you seeking to worship God with your resources? Are you sacrificing yourself to do whatever God needs to be done? Are you, are you uh, seeking to worship God with your resources? Are you willing to sacrifice your desire for what God needs? Are we living a life of worship? Because so many times what happens in Christianity, so many times in Christianity, you know, at one point we were seeking God, but now we're just seeking to do the Christian thing. We're seeking to do the church thing because, you know, that's what we do. We're, we're, we're seeking to get it checked off because, you know, that's just the steps that we go through as Christians. But I would say, no, even as Christians, we still are to seek God. We still want to seek God's presence in our life. We still want to seek God's uh, blessing in our life. We still want to seek God's ministry in our life. So I'd invite you this morning to respond to God with me through worship.